0: What is up, everybody? Hope you're doing well. Thanks for tuning in to the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and today's episode features Dr. Carl A. Williamson. He's a professor of discipleship and church planning at Harding University. Today, he's sharing with us a model presented through renew.org's track session at the Forum this year. This model can be used in a variety of places and settings, and he's talking about it. As if it's simple enough that just anybody can do this and get started right away. This model is not the only model, as Jason tells us at the beginning of this episode, but it is a proven model that works. So if you're somebody who is interested in this, and maybe you've got some people in your life that you want to disciple, and you just don't know how to do it, this is your episode. Let's jump in and hear from Dr. Carl Williamson. Here we go.
1: Hey there, good afternoon. Welcome to the last breakout session. Hope you guys are awake. My name's Jason, I'm with Renew.org. So welcome to those online, welcome to everybody here. Um, Renew.org is a network of churches and church leaders and everyday disciple makers. And we believe in good biblical theology. We believe that a good biblical theology is what will motivate and undergird all the methods that we talk about of making disciples in the way of Jesus. And we produce resources. We're gonna talk about one of those today. Uh, we produce resources because we feel that it is just as important as winning disciples as uh, telling those disciples, giving them a real clarity around what it is we're winning them to. And so uh, Carl Williamson is with us. He's, he's using one of these resources uh, that we produce at renew.org to do just that. Now, I, I haven't known Carl a long time, but he is a professor at Harding University, and um, he's a practitioner. I do know that he's a real-world, disciple-making practitioner uh, by the fruit that he's producing. Uh, I know with uh, talking to him in just a short time, he's a pure-hearted guy. Um, he and his wife are uh, just uh, you know, princes and princesses of people, um, and so I, I do want to get to know him better, and that's probably part of his success is his winsome personality, but uh, he's gonna tell about a method that he's using And, um, you know, Bobby Harrington wrote a book with Alex Absalom called Discipleship That Fits. He talks about a lot of different contexts and a lot of different ways of uh, disciple-making. And uh, this is one, and it is a proven way. Uh, But we're not trying to be prescriptive. It is definitely not the only way. Uh, But Carl's gonna tell you about some of the success that he and his wife have been having using it. And so in lack of no plan... Uh, this plan is, is a good one. Um, and so with that, please help me welcome Carl Williamson.
2: yeah thank you so much I'm so excited to be with you to share a disciple making model using the trust and follow Jesus material I think we're gonna have some slides on the screen and uh, before I talk about the material itself I want to talk about the impetus of why we do disciple making itself so uh, I do want to get down to the nitty-gritty about what you do because I've been really inspired how about you You've been inspired this, this the last few days. Um, but now I want to know, how do I put this into practice? And I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out how to, how to put it in practice. My goal, uh, by the time you leave this little session, is that you would have a way that you could uh, put disciple-making into practice. And so uh, we should start by thinking about lost things and lost things are able to be found. If I can get that on the screen and just kind of follow with me here. Lost things can be found. In fact, I was at the track at Harding University where I teach and it was my first year there and I was running around the track and then something caught my eye. I was like a a little kid on the playground, you know, something shiny was there on the side of the track and I noticed it and I ran, ran past it. I was actually doing sprints on the track. Now I don't want to overwhelm you by the speed at which I can run or something of that sort. But I was running sprints on the track, and I noticed this little uh, this little shiny thing that was right there on the track. And so, actually, uh, when I when I uh, when I finally decided I was going to pick this thing up, I actually looked down on the ground, and you can see a, a picture of me here looking at that particular item. it's, a, it's just a little. Uh, A metal piece. In fact, I didn't really know what to call it. Uh, You may know what to call it already when you're seeing it on the screen, uh, but I didn't know what to call it. I just knew it was some sort of screw of some kind. And so there it was on the track. And so I asked in some of my classes, I said, hey, anybody know what this is? I found this on the track and it was lost. And I wonder, wonder, could it be found? Can it be found? It's lost. And so can it be found? And so a student in my class named Taylor Mason actually said, oh, yeah, I know what that is. I'm on the football team and, and I know what that thing is. And I said, well, what's it called? I have no idea what it's called, he said. I said, I said well, you said you knew what it was. And he said, no, I, I know what it's used for. And I said, okay. He said, it's, it's part of our uniform. And so he said, uh, I can't tell you where it goes, uh, but uh, you can contact this, uh, this other student who, who works with the football team named Jake Leslie and uh, contact him and he'll probably know where this is found. And so I contacted Jake Leslie, uh, sent him a picture. And then uh, uh, Jake said, I, th- I think I do know what that is. It is used on our uniforms, actually on our helmets. And then uh, he said, I don't know where it goes. And so contact Carter Ness. And so I contacted Carter Ness. And, and finally Carter said, yeah, I know what that is, but I'm not the equipment manager. I don't know what this is. These are just students. And so he said, we have a student who works uh, with equipment. His name is Hayden Hobdy. And so uh, I, I sent an email to Hayden Hobdy. So this, this took several days, of course. And, and this email of this little uh, metal object that I found on the track on one day is going around harding, like, you know, gangbusters. It's super exciting. Hayden said, oh, I know exactly what that is. In fact, I know where it goes. And so uh, here you go. It's right there on the screen. That's where it goes. And there was uh, thousands of other of them. And I said, what is it? And he said, it's a snap screw. Snap screw. I said, well, what does it do? And then he uh, showed me what it does. The next picture shows it on the helmet. It actually keeps... Uh, the football players, their their helmets on and keeps them safe. It actually has a purpose. So not only was something that was on the track lost, uh, it became found and it actually has a usefulness. Amen right? It actually has some usefulness. And it actually, I believe this was God's incredible way of reminding me of Luke 15, 24, uh, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And everyone who was with the father was celebrating because lost things actually can be found. What seems like trash can actually be found. And so I found a piece of trash on the the side of the and it found its place back. And I, I, I of course, said, hey, uh, this piece right here, well, it actually has quite a bit of meaning to me, and it sits in my office today. And I said, could I, could I keep this piece? I know this is what the piece was originally intended for, but I think this piece could actually have an even greater purpose, greater influence, as I use this piece to talk about lost things being found. It can also bring salvation, protection, protection, protection of the mind, protection of the heart as people find Jesus, amen? Are you with me? I mean, isn't that awesome? I just, I feel like that was God's way of reminding me that lost things can be found. And so ever since that moment, I've been trying to figure out ways to connect with students and doing disciple making. And so I was just visiting with Robert Coleman a few minutes ago, and you know, his master plan of evangelism, the book that he wrote, this really, I mean, it, it changed my life. It really follows the life of Jesus and, and 12 men that he follows and so I, I'd read that book and so I formed groups of about 12 guys on campus and I engaged those groups of guys in, in scripture. I just opened up scripture with them. We would pray together, uh, we, would, we would fast together and uh, it, was, it was incredibly effective in connecting. But I found more and more that uh, my balance of time and work and family was often off balance because 12 guys are a lot of people to stay connected with. When I'm, I have a whole teaching schedule. I have two girls, wonderful, beautiful girls, 13 and 16 years old. I'm gonna tell you some more about them here in just a minute. Uh, I have two wonderful girls and a wife who who loves me. She's finishing up her PhD in practical theology. Just uh, God's gift to me, my wife, Alicia. Uh, but I was finding it difficult to balance all of those. and I don't know if you've tried this as well. And so I was constantly having to pare down how many I worked with. And so uh, Bobby Harrington and I were talking about uh, this problem and I read Greg Ogden's book and some other discipleship books and, and quite a bit of the research was showing that if we spent time in even smaller groups, like Jesus's three closest disciples. I'm hoping that you've already heard this before, like his three closest disciples, which would mean that you would be in groups of four Uh, Then uh, there would be less time with, uh, like there's less relationships. And so there's less people to connect with. There's three guys I would be connecting with. And so uh, this model that I'm going to share with you today is just one model. It's not the model that makes necessarily people interested in Jesus, Like I love pizza nights and game nights and movie nights and and, uh, big church services where someone might find an interest in Jesus. This model that I'm going to share with you today is a disciple making model. So that's specific to individuals who are going to be followers of Jesus, who make followers of Jesus. Does that make sense so far? Sometimes students will ask me, who do I look for? And I, I say, well, I, I can think of three different groups that you would look for, okay? I'm going to give you this model here in a second. There's seven steps to it, okay? Uh, but here's what you would look for. Number one, you, uh, you might look for, this isn't going to be on the screen. So uh, number one, you might look for a follower of Jesus who really wants to be a disciple maker, Like, do you see how that would be valuable for me to spend time with a follower of Jesus who just really wants to be a disciple maker? That is worth being one of my three. The second type of person that I'm looking for and students that I'm working with are looking for is somebody who is a follower of Jesus. They're already a Christian, but they're struggling to be obedient to Jesus. Now, I know you don't have this problem uh, among all of you adults, but students on campus often struggle with sin in their life and they're not sure if they should be obedient to Jesus. No, that's that's a joke. I know you struggle with that too, right? But if there's somebody who's a follower of Jesus They're really struggling to be obedient to Jesus and to Jesus' ways, but they're saying to me, but I want to be obedient to King Jesus. I say, you're a good fit for this group, okay? So that's the second group. So you see, kind of started at the top, people who want to be disciple makers, someone who's wanting to be obedient to Jesus. And then the third group that I'm really looking for are people who are lost but really want to be obedient to Jesus, or at the very least, they really want to know about Jesus. They really, they're interested. This is the Ethiopian eunuch who's already reading scripture. And then uh, here Philip comes and he says, do you know what you're reading? He's already interested in Jesus. And that's somebody worth spending time with. For example, uh, when I was uh, at my home in Circe. Across the street from my house is this track that you were just looking at a second ago. And I saw a young man run by. Uh, It seemed like he might be from Kenya and I just have a love for runners. And so when I saw this young man uh, run by, I said to my wife, I said, I think I'm gonna go over to the track because I'd really like to meet that young man, which is a totally strange thing to do. But that was like the Holy Spirit. And I went over there, I introduced myself. He said he was new to town. He was actually there one semester prior to me coming. And so he had been there a semester. I was brand new to Cersei. I went there, I met him. I asked him where he lived, a little bit about him. And I walked back home with a smile on my face. God gave me another friend and I walked back in the house and the first thing I said when I got back into the house I said hey Alicia would you uh, would you buy two watermelons when you buy watermelons at the store this week which is not a normal phrase for me okay this was just the spirit and then when we went to the grocery that week she bought two watermelons as soon as it got to my house it was like I was off and I went and found that guy's house and brought the watermelon to his house. And of course he immediately invited me in and all the other runners who were there and we had dinner together and we cut that watermelon and we enjoyed time together and we became good friends. It was like the spirit of God was leading me to that young man, Hosea Kiptu, was leading me specifically to him. And after a few times of getting together and having lunch together one day, I said, hey, Hosea, tell me about your faith in Jesus. He said, oh, I love Jesus. I said, tell me about uh, how how you have uh, become faithful to him and your conversion story and what that looks like. And he said, well, uh," he said, Dr. Carl, which is how he called me. Dr. Carl, um, I decided last semester I wanted to be baptized into Christ. I said, oh, what a wonderful thing. I'm so glad for you. And he said, uh, I said, well, what was that like? He said, oh, no, I haven't been baptized. I said, oh, Hosea, why haven't you been baptized? He said, because I have not had a friend until this time. I have not had a friend until this time. Uh, Now, uh, you may not realize this, but Harding University is a liberal arts Christian college. Christians everywhere. Which tells you that this third group right here even exists at a Christian university. People who really want to be obedient to Jesus, they want to follow him, And they just don't have a friend. The spirit was guiding me specifically to Hosea. And then all I did, which is the same thing Philip did. I was like, well, Hosea, we got a fountain here on campus. I'll baptize you tonight. And it was a wonderful story. And we've stayed close friends. We fasted and prayed together. We've trained together. Yes, I ran with him some, but he runs further ahead of me sometimes. And then I actually helped him transfer from Harding University to York College. And the president of York College, here's what the president of York College told me about Hosea. He said, Hosea has been such a great student here at our school. I'm I'm wanting to give him a full scholarship to get his master's degree if he will do ministry on campus because he is the greatest disciple maker we have here. Can we give a round of applause for that? I just think God is so good that we just need to recognize that's what disciple-making looks like. And so I'm describing to you a process of disciple-making. And uh, I'm going to talk about this book here that Bobby Harrington has put together. And this book essentially has eight different disciple-making conversations. I'm going to use that phrase, disciple-making conversations, because these Bible studies are designed to fuel disciple-making conversations. Because as you and I both know from the last couple of days and our, our uh study with churches, we, we see that Jesus spent time with people. And Jesus had scripture right up here in his head. And so as he was walking along the road, then he was having conversations with people about the things that really matter. These eight studies in this workbook here are eight studies that are designed around getting your group of three other people and yourself to have conversations that are important. Now, when I teach uh, evangelism and church planting at Harding, I like to teach lots of models of how to do things. And at the end of the class, one of the the biggest questions that is asked me is like, well, now which one do I choose? And sometimes the university model is that we give lots of models and at the end we don't actually do anything. And so this is just one model I'm suggesting. You have four people, you go through these eight important discussions. When I ask students to create Bible studies, I mean, bless their heart. I'm in the South, right? Bless their heart. What they tend to do is they find some issue of their heart that they're feeling right now, like anxiety or depression or some pain that they're feeling. And then they go to Psalms or other scriptures. They'll Google something and they'll create a Bible study with that. And I often tell the students, I say, I'm so glad you can create a Bible study on that particular topic but we also need to have really important conversations about God and whether or not we believe God is the real God, whether there's a reasonable logic to believing that God is God and Jesus is Lord. And we need to talk about him being a holy God and sin in our life. We need to talk about God being love and his grace. We need to talk about what it looks like to make him Lord and King. We need to talk about what it looks like to have commitment to Jesus. Uh, We need a a repentance and a confession and a baptism. We need to to know what that looks like. And so this workbook is designed for the three other people, you and the other three, to work through that material before they come. And then you gather together for about an hour and you actually discuss what it is you have been studying. And most of the time, when you're discussing that particular topic, it's gonna bring on a lot of other topics as well. And I wanna give you liberty. You should talk about those things but this kind of guides our, my disciple making in a specific way that I make sure that I talk about the most important stuff. Now, I'm not sure uh, what background you come from, but actually my dad was a, uh, a missionary in Sweden and I stood uh, in, uh, on the street promenade in Sweden and I would actually hand out tracts And then I would watch my dad do Bible studies with people. Now, here's how he did Bible studies, okay? He would go into the Bible right here and he'd flip to the back of his Bible. And he actually had most of what is in this book right here, these main topics of what people actually need answers to in order to be faithful to to God. He had all these Bible verses in the back written down in categories. And then he would open up the Bible with them and he would say, okay, let's talk about Jesus as Lord. And then he would have the people, have you ever done this before? They would then write those scriptures down, maybe in their Bible, or put numbers, number one, number two, number three, next to those passages so that they could replicate it. Well, I was describing it to my dad this week. I said, okay, in North America, dad, I said, you've been doing that Bible study method. I said, how many times have you had someone replicate that model in North America? And he said, I see your point. I said, if they're not currently doing that in North America, then let's find a model that will actually work. And so that's the same thing I'm trying to figure out is a model that works for the North American church. And that's what I'm giving you here. It's this material that fuels disciple making conversations. And here's what you would do in seven steps. First, as we've been learning all day from Shadonke Johnson, this begins with prayer. I mean, this is like Holy Spirit prayer. This is driven by the Holy Spirit. It's like me finding Hosea Kiptu. I mean, is there any doubt that I was supposed to spend time with that young man? So when you start a group, here's what you do. And and don't skip this step because you'll miss disciple-making. You ask God, give me somebody who really wants to be a disciple-maker. Someone's gonna change your kingdom, God. And it could be the weird guy with the glasses, It could be the strange person sitting all by themselves on campus. It could be the guy who's crazy in your community, who stands on the street corner. Look for the person that God is putting into your life to be one of those three people who will follow you as you follow Jesus Christ. So you start with prayer. I think that is so important to this process. And then, of course, I've been saying all along, think small, just three people. Ask God for three specific people and make it gender-based, okay? So I'm, I'm asking you men to work with men and women to work with women. Why is that? Because disciple-making is relational. And when you get really close in relationship with people, then oftentimes feelings will start to uh, get into those relationships, and it can be very difficult. Uh, There are a lot of sins, especially in North America today, that we need to confess that are very uh, personal, and uh, some of them are sexual in nature. And so I think it's really important to be gender-based. And quite frankly, guys, the other reason is we haven't done a great job training our women in our churches, and they need to be disciple-makers. And so we need to have women training women. And so for me at Harding University, I'm so thankful for a wife who uh, does this same model I'm describing to you. She had a group last year that has now become three groups and she has three different disciple making groups. That means she's only a part of one, but there are three groups altogether. The lady who works in my office in the missions department, she's uh, originally from China. And she knows Chinese and she started a Chinese speaking group last year using this material. And this year there are three groups that we have on campus and uh, they're being translated into Chinese. She's just doing it on the spot. Uh, God is using this among our men and women. I had a group last year and uh, that group has become three groups this year as well. And so it's very slow growth. Uh, but it is intentional and you you grow leaders and disciple makers as a part of this uh, model. So here are uh, several other steps that I wanna go over with you. Uh, plan to meet weekly. If you don't spend time together, it's really hard to really grow disciple makers. You need to have a weekly plan to get together and study the Bible or get together. I'm gonna talk about rhythms here in just a second, but I do think it's important at the very least to spend time every week in a designated time. That doesn't mean you only spend one hour a week together or two hours a week, uh, but it does mean that you have a plan to spend a weekly time together. Uh, You do this life on life. Okay. Life on life means that I'm going to try to spend time with the guys that are in my group beyond our Bible study group. Okay, so uh, right now I have three guys. They are all ready to be disciple makers. Uh, I'm gonna talk about uh, how long these groups should be in a minute. For this group that I'm leading this semester, it's a one semester group because I've spent time with all of these guys before. And I'm going through the Trust and Follow Jesus material and I'm basically saying to them, hey, at the end of this group, uh, we are going to have two groups in the spring, okay? We're gonna have two groups. So two of us are gonna stay together and the other two are gonna stay together. uh, And it's very intentional now, what am I doing with the other, these three guys? One of the guys came to me and he said, hey, I really want to start a purity group. He meets at my house on Wednesday night. He and I co-lead a purity group with other young men, not as a part of this disciple-making group, but as a part of Life on Life. He's texted me several times since I've been on this trip. It is close-knit, connected. He shared sin with me on the, on the phone, texted me since we've been on this trip. The other man is a part of that group. He just had a baby. I drove over an hour to a hospital where he was at because his baby was in the hospital for several days. Why? Because it's life on life. He goes to the same congregation I go to. He helps me with the Bible class I teach at church because it's life on life. But that's not where the disciple making is occurring. I mean, it is, but it's not. You see, I'm still meeting weekly. The other guy is a soccer player and he's a part of a group of students on campus that I call Mission 431 based off of Acts 431. And they prayed and the place was shaken and they went out with great boldness. You know this passage, okay? Mission 431 gathers uh, athletes from every uh, sports team on campus together. And we talk about disciple making and we pray for lost people to be found. He's part of that group with me. You see, each one of those guys I'm spending extended time with. Now I know, right? You see how much time this actually takes, okay? But I'm only spending time with three people with this life on life. You see why I couldn't do 12 like that, okay? So it's very intentional and I'm connecting with them and every week we get together, when we go through this material, I say, what would, you, what would a lost person ask? And then they give, they give several questions. Well, a lost person may ask this about God. Or I'll say, well, what if, uh, uh, maybe if a lost person was in this group, in your disciple-making group, they would ask this question. And we talk about that. They've already done the work, but we're talking about the most important stuff. Okay? And so it's life on life. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, OK, number five, there's seven steps to starting this group. Complete the workbook. I've been talking about that. Number six, uh, set the time frame. So uh, it's important to recognize who your group is. So for me, this semester, it's six months that I'm spending with this group. That's probably the, mi- the, the minimum you need to spend with a group of guys. I've already spent about a year with each of these guys. They were all in a class of mine a year ago, and we spent time together uh, relationally, but not in a discipleship group. So I've known them for a little while. Uh, typically, I would say spend at least a year with the same discipleship group, Sometimes it's two or three years. Jesus spent three years with his 12. And so I would say it's up to three years, but be careful with this because the same principle that applies to small groups, not multiplying is gonna be the temptation with this discipleship group. If you stay together too long, you won't multiply. And my goal with these groups is reproducibility. It needs to be simple, effective and reproducible, okay? So, set the time frame and then plan to multiply. There is not a week that we get together where I don't say to the guys, Now, when you lead your group, this is what it's going to look like. Now, when you're working with the people who are part of your next group, here's what you're going to ask. Okay? Uh, Number seven, uh, make a group covenant. Okay, Uh, people aren't super uh, comfortable sometimes with group covenants, uh, but I do wanna say that I have found it really helpful to have the students that I work with sign a covenant. In fact, we sign a covenant together. At the end of this, you will uh, get a QR code to get to this material that's on renew.org's website, uh, seven steps to starting a group, which is what I'm sharing with you. And in that packet, there is a discipleship group covenant. It's nothing different than what you may have seen for like a small group covenant for uh, a small group at your church or an accountability group of some kind. But essentially this group covenant goes through um, uh, specifics about how often we're going to meet, where we're going to meet, what the goal of this group is. And I think it's important to talk about what the goal of the group is ahead of time make a covenant with each other, make a promise. That's what we're saying. We're promising to be obedient to King Jesus, to multiply these groups. That's our goal with this and remind ourselves of that covenant. Uh, my wife has taken this discipleship group covenant from uh, the packet that you'll get at the end. And uh, she, with several of the ladies, they actually went to like Home Depot or Lowe's and they stole those paint strips. You know the paint strips that have all the different colors on them? I say stole, they, they're they free, okay? So uh, she, she stole them from there. And then she actually wrote in each one of the colors she wrote a different aspect of how, the, how often they were going to meet or what was it going to look like. And then on the back of them, all of the girls as a part of her group, which she has four, signed the back of that. And then they keep that in their Bible and they bring it with them every time. But also every time those girls open their Bible at church or during, during the week, they see that group covenant and they are reminded, I'm a part of a disciple making group. That's goal is reproducibility and multiplication and seeing the whole world becoming found. And so that's the, the blessing of a covenant. Uh, the, the lady who works in my office, Lee Johnson, who has uh, these groups of Chinese students that she's working with, she felt very uncomfortable with the group covenant. She said, Carl, do you think I should really do that group covenant? I said, I, said, I would say this, say something like this. Hey, I... I really want God's kingdom to grow. And I believe having a simple, effective, reproducible model is part of that. If we seek to make a promise to each other that we are gonna be God's people studying God's word and this is how often we're gonna meet and this is what we're gonna do. Even if you wanna back out at some point, it would be okay. But we wanna be people who covenant ourselves to a God who covenants to us. I said, don't rewrite the covenant. Just say, what if we tried this? And that's what I often say to the guys I meet with. I say to them, I say, I know you could write a great covenant yourself. I know you could write great Bible studies yourself and you could just recreate it, but could you reproduce it? Because then every guy that you do disciple making with is going to have to recreate the wheel again. And then they're going to have to recreate the wheel again. And so sometimes, guys, we just have to say like, hey, maybe it's not the perfect material, but it's what we're going to use and we're going to reproduce it. And it's simple, effective, reproducible. And so that's what I found uh, really helpful as a part of this material.
0: Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple-making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website. It's actually a community for disciple makers, basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org/collective and sign up for your free membership today.
2: Uh, I was talking to Robert Coleman a few minutes ago, and I asked him about his wife who passed away. Uh, uh, I guess a couple years ago, he said, and he said, she would always tell him, tell more stories. Um, uh, at the same time that I met Hosea Kiptu, the Holy Spirit connected me with him. Uh, I was teaching a class called Evangelism Church Planning at Harding. And I was coming out of that class and right outside the door of that class was a young man by the name of Grant Fitzhugh. I knew, I know that now I didn't know at the time. And he was standing there waiting for me. Uh, he said, Hey, uh, uh Professor Williamson, you don't know me, uh, but uh, could I sleep on your floor this summer? I said, sleep on my floor? Uh, Why? And he said, I just want to spend as much time with you as I possibly can spend with you you know what, uh, that was really weird. And I went home and I said that to my wife and she thought this was the strangest guy ever. Uh, but I realized then that here's a guy who wants to learn what it looks like to be a disciple maker. He didn't end up sleeping on my floor. My wife thought it was too strange. She wishes she could go back now and have him sleep on our floor all summer because that's how much she loves him. Okay, so Grant fits you. He spent time with me all the summer that, that year. Uh, him and Hosea Kip too, and and I, it was a group of three that summer and we fasted and prayed for four days together. We read scripture together. We read books on discipleship together. We talked about disciple making. We dreamed about what the kingdom would look like. He's one of those guys I would point to that I would say, now he's a disciple maker who makes disciples. He's now working for one of the churches in Circe, and he's using this material here to train the interns as part of the college ministry at that church. And he's working with a group of five of them right now. And next semester, they'll have five groups. And he has two other groups uh, from the football team, guys that he knows from the football team that he works with. So he has three groups, which I did say to him recently, I said, Grant, you're, you're, it's too much. You have a, a young marriage. You gotta be careful with how many groups you have. He has three groups right now because he believes in the mission of God and he's using this as a reproducible tool on campus. And so I'm just telling you, at least at Harding University in Searcy, Arkansas, a small little town in Arkansas, it's really working for us and it's reproducing. Okay, so let me talk about uh, life on life for a second. Jason Dukes and Bobby Harrington put together the seven rhythms of what it looks like for life on life relationships. And so as you think about a life on life in these groups, I've given you seven steps for how to start a group. Now I want you to think about what you do together, okay? One thing is, yes, you need to study the Bible together. Um, But here's here's some rhythms to consider. Okay, first of all, prayer and fasting is part of the rhythm of your disciple making group. If your guys or your girls that you're spending time with, if you are not praying and fasting together, if you are not engaging in spiritual disciplines together, I don't believe you'll see a move of God. Because it's your move, not God's move. Even if you use this material, you're not gonna see a move of God. And so you need prayer and fasting and you're inviting them along because they've welcomed you in. So who you've chosen has welcomed you in. So one of those three categories I shared a second ago, uh, somebody who's wanting to be a disciple maker, somebody who's wanting to be obedient to Jesus or a lost person who wants to know Jesus, they're inviting you along. So take it serious, love them. Man, one of the guys the other day, he was telling me about sin in his life and he was describing himself in the midst of that sin and it hurt my heart. I couldn't help but think about it the rest of the night. I was in tears for that young man. It's life on life. They're inviting you along to participate in the great work that God is doing in them. And my prayer for each of them is that they're gonna be great disciple makers. And so you have those first two rhythms. Then you eat together, uh, you serve together, you Sabbath together, you learn together. Okay, so let's talk about eating together. One of my groups this week, because I was gonna be here on Tuesday when our group normally meets, we met Monday for lunch. I mean, I ran from one of my classes and we went out to this Mongolian grill and we went and we ate together. And I made sure that when we were together, I said something like this, hey, in in a few short months, guys, you're gonna have a disciple making group and you're gonna be eating with God. Guys, will, will you just remind them when, when you're eating with them that a few months down the road, they're gonna be eating with guys because Jesus ate with people and so we eat with people. And so even the eating together is not just eating together, it's training people to do life on life. I sat around with my group, I was explaining these seven rhythms to them just as I am to you now, and I said, okay, well, uh, let's promise to serve together at least one time. I said, I'm not sure, what would we do to serve? We haven't decided yet how to serve, but I'm going to stick to that. I don't know. What should we do together? Why? Because I'm doing disciple making. They need to decide what we're going to do to serve together. When, when we figure out where we're going to eat together. I don't know, where should we eat together? How about the Mongolian? I said, oh yeah, let's go to the Mongolian grill because they're deciding, they're deciding how to serve. I said, man, how are we going to Sabbath and rest together? One of the guys is one of, one of the groups I was a part of. He said, let's go throw axes. I said, I'm not sure that's Sabbathing, but uh, I said, that sounds like a great idea. But I was thinking, I'm not sure that's Sabbath. I said, oh man, that sounds like a great idea. And I said, now when you... When I was explaining these rhythms to them, I said, now, when you have a group, you're gonna describe these seven rhythms to them and life on life and what that looks like. Make sure you let them decide what you're gonna do. Isn't this the kind of stuff Jesus did? He walked alongside his disciples Sometimes he asked them to go somewhere. He asked them questions. He asked them to help. They were along, they were connecting, they saw what he was doing and they were learning from him. That's what disciple making is. And so the learning together is obviously studying the Bible together. That's really important for us to do. And so that's one of the rhythms. And then uh, the last rhythm uh, for this group is maturing them while multiplying, making sure you're talking about multiplication the entire uh, time. So here's what I've done. So far, I've uh, given you uh, uh, impetus, lost things can be found. I talked about uh, the trust and follow Jesus material, what's inside it. I went through uh, seven uh, steps to starting a group. So, you could actually start a group, you could actually do these seven steps when you go home you pray, and then you think about those three people, make it gender-based, you plan to meet weekly with them, you do life on life, you complete the workbook. If you don't want to use this, just use whatever material you want. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, you set the time frame. you plan to multiply, and you make a group covenant. I think those are very specific, easy steps. And then you make sure you do these things in rhythms with your group. So you make sure you're doing life on life. You're actually living life together. You don't do what I have been tempted to do my whole life. Just study the Bible and it's really dry. It's just the Bible. And then, okay, I did my Bible study and I go home and do my own thing. Because that doesn't make disciples. You and I both know that because we've been part of that at different times in our life. So uh, I want to talk about what do the meetings look like then? Okay, so let's talk about that for a second because this is a question I had when thinking about these different groups. So the first group meeting, I would do what I what I'm repeating to you right now is what I would do in my first meeting. I would explain the group formation, these seven steps. Hey guys, when I was starting this group, here's how I started this group. I prayed, uh, and then we were trying to figure out all these things, and that's what we're doing today. Here are the seven steps when you start a group. The very first meeting, I plan multiplication and. So I share the seven steps. I talk about, hey, rhythms that Jesus has. Here are some rhythms I see in Jesus's life. Here are seven rhythms that we can have. And then I talk about something that's also in this uh, article that you can download here at the end, which is spiritual autobiographies. In college ministry, we typically call them just testimonies. Okay, you share your life with someone. And there's a spiritual autobiography worksheet in uh, this document that you can download at the end. And it actually walks you through a process of helping adults know how to tell their testimony. Okay, students I found are really good with this, so I don't really have to walk them through that uh, process. But here's uh, the basics okay, you should be able to share your testimony, that means the good and the bad of your life. And you should be able to recognize what God did through the really good. And I'm gonna tell you when my first daughter Zoe was born, that was something good that God did. That was Zoe, life. And life is in my life because of her. And I was like, man, God gave me a child and God did that. I can also tell you about sin in my life. I can tell you about the time I cheated on a test and how God used that to grow my integrity in me. And I'm gonna tell stories like that. I'm gonna talk about purity with my guys. So I'm gonna be very confessional, but I'm not just gonna talk about myself as a horrible human being. I'm gonna talk about how God's using me powerfully because my God is a God full of grace and mercy and he does great things in us and there's some good in me and there's some rotten in me. And so I'm gonna share both of those. And so uh, I train my guys, I say, okay, Next week, we're going to get together and two of us need to share our testimonies. That means you need to write down your testimony and see what God's been doing in you. Someone asked me the other day, well, what if they're not a Christian? Well, you know, God is working in the world, even in non-Christians, he's been working. And so I try to tell, if it was a non-Christian, I say, hey, you join this group because you want to follow Jesus. Hey, will you just tell us a story of, of what God has been doing to get you to this point that you're interested in knowing more about Jesus? And so I have two guys, so the first week, since I'm the person who started the group, I'll share my testimony, and another guy will share his testimony. And then I say, hey, you two guys, you pray over us. I say, say, next week we're gonna do the opposite. You'll share your testimony, we'll pray over you. You see, even the intention of the group is, I'm sharing my testimony, but you're gonna pray over me. Next week, you're gonna share your testimony, I'm gonna pray over you. We are sharing, because I'm not group leader. I'm not, I'm not the guy who does everything. I am training them to be disciple makers. And then we sign that group covenant. We talk about being covenanted to each other and what that looks like. That's what we do the first meeting. I already described the second meeting. You share your testimony or spiritual autobiography. The third meeting, the same thing. then the fourth meeting, you would finally get into maybe doing chapter one of this, talking about God, looking through those scriptures. Ahead of time, uh, the people you're spending time with would do that work. You would do that work and then you get together and you would go through maybe some of the questions in there, but you really are just having conversations that fuel disciple making. Hey, what do we need to talk about God? What's essential in following God? What are essential doctrines? That's, a, that's in that first chapter, and that's important to talk about. What's really essential to be a follower of Jesus? And I have those kinds of conversations with the guys. And then uh, by the fifth meeting, you're probably to a point where you need to either eat together, serve together, or Sabbath together. You see this? How it's like a rhythm to it? The next meeting, maybe you get together and you study again. Then the following meeting, you either eat together, serve together, or Sabbath together. Are you catching the drift? It's as simple as that. So the first meeting, I'm describing that. And then as we go through, I'm reminding them, hey, you know, guys, when, when you lead a group... Uh, It might be really easy if you use this because it's already created and it's got this group covenant already in there and it's easily replicable, even if you don't love all parts of it. It's just, it's something very easy to do. And then you could train those guys to do the same thing. What if we saw a network of people on this campus who are disciple makers? Now, what am I really thinking in my head? I'm thinking, what if we saw a network of disciple makers in our country, in our world, But I know these are young disciple makers, and so I'm just imagining something that they can place in their mind. What if we saw a network of disciple makers on this campus? What would that look like? And so I imagine that with them, and they kind of catch the vision here. Okay, so some tips, and then I'm going to have a little bit of time for you to ask some questions if you want. Okay, I think I already said this. Let the group decide where and how to eat, serve, Sabbath. Uh, Remind the group about the mission of multiplication every week. Be okay going slow. Uh, One of my groups, uh, okay, so I'll say this. I actually have two groups, okay? One is with college students. One is with three guys who are exactly my age. I know that because one of the guys right here on his neck, he has 1980. Uh, tattooed on his neck, and I said, "Oh, is that the year you were born? Because I was born in 1980, 42 years old. So the three of us who are 42. Uh, so he uh, he came to church, 1980, tattooed on his on his neck, and uh, I said, hey, hey you want to go grab uh, you want to go grab lunch? This wasn't disciple making yet. This was just uh, connecting with lost people.'" And I said, you wanna go grab lunch? There's these tacos or a dollar, let's go have some lunch. He said, yeah, great. And it, when we were sitting down, I said, hey, tell me what you think about the Bible. He said, oh man, the Bible, the Bible is awesome, man. I found some aliens in the Bible. And it's like, I said, oh really aliens? He said, yeah, have you ever heard of these Nephilim in the Bible, they're the aliens. And then I said, oh yeah. He said, oh, it's also in Ezekiel. You know, those four headed beasts there, those are aliens. I said, man. That was really interesting. I said, you know, I teach Old Testament and I, I think I may, might be able to like speak into a little bit of what this, these four creatures are and talk to you a little bit about that. And we did talk right then about it. And I said, man, it just seems like you're interested in knowing Jesus more and following him. I said, is that right? And he said, oh yeah, I need to follow him. I've been, I've been struggling with drugs. I said, okay. I said, but look, I don't just start, I don't just uh, do Bible studies one-on-one with people. I I normally try to form a group. I said, I wonder, here's a non-Christian guy. I wonder who'd be two other people who might want to know about Jesus. He rattled off two other people. And so I couldn't say no to that second discipleship group because here was a guy that God just put in my path right there and we started meeting and we talked about the rhythms. We talked about how to start a group. We talked about being consistent, following Jesus and what that would look like. And I knew it's gonna be hard. The second week we get together, he had agreed he was gonna share his testimony. I'm gonna share my testimony. He didn't show up. So the other two guys do show up. And I said to one of them, I said, hey, will will you text him right now? And the other guy said, hey, will you call him right now? Because we're brothers. Remember last week we covenanted One guy texts him. The other guy calls him. I said, guys, doesn't matter what we were going to do today. Now we slow down. Let's pray for him right now. We prayed. I feel this touch on my shoulder here from one of the guys. He says, Carl, hold on. The guy was on the phone and he answers the phone. And I said, tell him to come right now. Because even though we've already spent our time together, We need to put our hands on him, just love him. Be okay going slow, especially when they're non-Christian people who want to know about Jesus, be okay. If they want to need to know about dinosaurs in the Bible or something like that halfway through, just stop. And just, if, if they really can't keep moving forward without talking about this, slow down. You don't have to go through the material. It's life on life, but these eight topics help you to talk about the most important stuff, but be okay stopping and saying, oh, maybe we need to have two weeks where we eat together. Maybe we need to Sabbath two times together. It's okay, but the rhythms help us to be thinking about Jesus's rhythm of disciple making. So be okay uh, slowing down. If others want to join my group, I tell them no. In fact, I I don't let people join my group. I ask people to, to join the group. Okay. That may seem really small, but that's what Jesus did. Jesus asked people, come follow me. He did those who came to him. He tends to send and say, Hey, you go teach in the city or you go tell everybody. And so uh, sometimes if someone say, Hey man, I really want to, I want to learn from you. Okay. I've got two. like, definitely I won't start a third disciple making group. Okay. So I'll, I'll say something like, Hey, uh, if you'll just hold on, Uh, then uh, maybe another group will form and you can become a part of that. Or if I know of a guy who's starting a group, I might try to connect them. Uh, Or if they're already disciple-making material, I say, hey, just let me sit down with you and train you how to start a group. And then you start a group and I'll just kind of coach you on the side. Okay, but I don't let other people come into the group, which is kind of different than like evangelistic methodology, but this is a specific group. And so just be thinking about that. And then I always have four in my group because I really wanna do what Jesus did. I wanna go out two by two. And I think this might be the trick to replication. My one-on-one mentoring with students doesn't tend to reproduce. My group of 12 Doesn't tend to be reproducing, but when I meet like this, the group goes me and whoever is maybe a weaker member of the group, and then two other people, and it just immediately reproduces because now we're only actually this new group is only needing two more people, and so I think I might have it on here uh, towards the end of your group, like. The meeting time, you'd agreed to one year. So maybe eight, nine months out, you need to start mentioning this again. Obviously you're mentioning it all the the time, eight, nine nine months out, or a few months out from your ending of your group, you say, hey guys, we're gonna need to start praying and fasting because uh, remember we're we're in this to uh, multiply disciple makers. And so let's all pray and fast for who God wants to put in our group. And we're praying for four people. So my group of four is praying for four people. And so sometimes the way the group divides is based off of who God provides. So if one of the guys comes to me, he's like, hey man, I just went to the track and I found some guy. Then I'd be like, well, he's yours, man. You see what I'm saying? So we're praying and fasting. We're praying and fasting for four other people. And then we separate the groups based off of that. Okay, does that make sense? So that's the disciple-making model. I think we have uh, six more minutes. Any any questions that you have? Yes. The question is, it has eight chapters. How long does it take to go through? Well, I said be slow, so you might have some added weeks in there. At least every three to four weeks, you're going to have an eat, serve, or Sabbath time. So this is going to take you a few months. I would suggest after this, the the lesson we had with Renew just before this was on discovery Bible study. I believe in discovery Bible study and people discovering the word of God. And I think that's so important. And and the Holy Spirit works through us discovering. Uh, So I would suggest that. And or Renew has several books that are from that theology section. And I've done that with groups as well. But I tend more towards, hey, let's go to the Bible and let's study a, a particular, book, like the Gospel of Mark is one that I often will use, Uh, or sometimes it's dependent on the disciple makers and where they're at, and I might deal with a particular issue. And so, yes, you do maybe have to think about curriculum or material after this beginning group, Um, but I don't want to just create curriculum for the whole thing, because that's like subverting almost what we said last hour, which is the Bible is your curriculum, Right, And this, what I like about this is is Bible verses and then very, very simple questions. And like I said, what's funny, these are almost the same Bible studies my dad did when I was a little kid. I did in New Jersey and church planting for 14 years. And this is just packaged. And in North America, we do really good with packaged stuff. And our church members are not afraid to spend a few dollars. And so I think this is really helpful. College campuses, college students, adults, uh, existing churches, great disciple-making model. Yes, question. Do you find that this... Yes, that's exactly right. I, I'm not finding success. Uh, individual disciple makers going by themselves are afraid. And they struggle to actually do it. They have more questions when they come back. When I send them out two by two, they ask each other questions first. And then when they don't have the answer, they come to me, which that's another great thing about two by two because sometimes the partner will remember, but they won't. And so I just think this also just follows Jesus' model in sending out disciples. He sent them out two by two. I think we need to adopt that in our churches uh, with leadership and thinking about how we start ministries, but also these disciple-making groups. Send them out two by two. Yes, what other questions? Yeah, okay, that's really good. He's asking the question about uh, the simplicity of the lessons. Most church people are going to say like, hey, I already know this about God. And uh, I will often will remind them, I'll say, hey, guys, uh, just realize that our North American culture is all about something new and exciting. I love sermons when it's something new. But actually, when it comes to the gospel, we want it to be as old as dirt. (laughs) We want it to be from the very beginning. And so the excitement in these studies is is not always the material, it's the people you get to help transform with this material. And so I really try to encourage This only fuels the disciple making conversations. And so I really try to engage by letting them ask questions. And I often do this with my hands because it's a group of four and I'll say, hey guys, when we get together, we'll have all done this study. We don't have to go through every question, but we need to do this. Like we need to talk about the stuff that people need to know in the next group and the next group. How do we help each other do this? And that's what makes for the excitement of the adventure. And then I start dreaming with them. What would it look like for the whole network of people or everyone at Harding to know this? Great, hey, thank you so much for your attention. Uh, I'll be around if you have any questions.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed those four track sessions from Renew.org. Make sure you go check out Renew.org. It's a fantastic website and an online resource and they do gatherings and all kinds of fantastic stuff that give you help and tools as you are discipling people in your circles and inside your networks. Hey, stay tuned. we got another episode coming up next week. If you haven't already, please click subscribe so that you know when I drop it. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers, and if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories, and we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple-making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website. It's actually a community for disciple-makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today.